we doing today good yeah really I'm not I'm not sure about that we're gonna try this again because you guys are the early risers you guys are the trendsetters you've already been up or maybe you haven't I don't know uh, maybe you've had your coffee or maybe you haven't um, but you should be happy to be here and not look like you're getting ready to get hit by a bus um, I promise the sermon is not gonna be that long okay but let, let's just set this in context. We got done singing songs to like um, the creator of the universe. It is a beautiful day outside. You do not live in West Virginia. How are we doing today? Good? All right, that's a little bit better. Just a little bit better. Hey, um, if, if we haven't met, like Pastor John said, uh, my name is Caleb, and I just love uh, Pastor John and Michelle and the team here. Um, if, if it's your first Sunday here, um, I, I just want to let you know this is like the best church in this area. If I lived in this area, I would attend this church. So this is a place where it's okay not to be okay, and we just all band together, and we follow Jesus. Um, you look around, look around at all the people around you real quick. Look around. It's okay. Don't look in a creepy way, but look real quick. See all these people around you? They're all messed up. They're all messed up. You're like, wow, thanks, Caleb. First Sunday. But it's true, right? All of us have issues. If somebody tells you they don't have issues, well, dude, you know right then they have big issues. Uh, lying is one of them, obviously, Okay. So anyway, I hope that you'll keep on coming back and, you know, kicking the tires, looking underneath the hood and, and just, you know, park here for a few weeks and just see what God has in store uh, for you. So anyway, um, I wanted to start out by making an admission to you guys that um, um, a couple different admissions. OK, um, the, the first one is, is this. OK, I, I understand this is going to actually I'll make two before I make this other one. OK. I know this is not going to be, um, uh, both these statements are going to be highly controversial for some of you. And you just need to get over it. Just be honest. I'm right. You're not. Um, okay. First of all, I do not like coffee. Um, and yeah, right, right there, I can feel the judgment already. I can feel the gaslighting happening just by you looking at me. Some of you are like, why do you not like coffee? Well, it's pretty simple. I don't like the taste of evil. Um, and that's what coffee tastes like. I've tried forever to like coffee, and I don't. Um, and I finally, I feel comfortable owning my truth, you know, and being brave and making a statement. And, and here's, here's the other statement I'm going to make. I'm not the biggest fan of country music, okay? Yeah, some of you are like, all right, I'm out. I'm not coming back to this church. Okay, I'm not Pastor John. He loves both those things, okay? But me, on the, the, the downside for him is he loves the Broncos. Um, <laughs> proves not everybody is perfect. Um, it's hard to be perfect when, you're, when you have a beautiful team like the Chiefs nearby, right? <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. Um, I, 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 and it, you know what? I, if it makes you feel better, 
I don't hate country music, okay? I don't despise country music the way I despise Nickelback. Um, that's a whole nother level for me. But I'll tell you what I do enjoy about country music, and I've written some of these down for some of you because I just think it's so important. I love the, some of the, the country song titles. Any of you ever pay attention to the country song titles? Yeah, some of you, you are in for a treat. I'm going to read you my top five, okay? You just do not find these in opera. You don't find these in K-pop. You don't find these anywhere else, okay? Here we go. Here, here, here are my five, okay? My wife ran off with my best friend, and I sure do miss him. Hmm. Number two. You're the reason our kids are so ugly. <laughs> Somebody woke up on the wrong side of the bed when they wrote that song. Number three, if the phone don't ring, you'll know it's me. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. It'll take, take, I know it's early. It'll take some of you a few seconds here, but Google it later on. You'll get it, okay? Um, here's the fourth one. How can I miss you if you won't go away? Okay, I, I can relate with this last one. I'm pretty sure you can. You may not have related with any of the rest of these, but I can definitely relate with this last one. I think you can too. I think every human being can. I liked you better before I knew you so well. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Kind of on the heels of that, um, you, you look at that and you think about all those songs. All five of those songs have something in common. Hurt and pain. Okay, when, we, when we get hurt, when we experience pain, especially in those few, first few moments, what do we do? We react. We react, and we aren't self-reflective. Now, I'm going to make another admission here, and I think you'll be able to sign off with me on this one. Let's find out, okay? Here goes. I have participated in every bad decision that I have ever made. Let me say that again, because some of you are looking at me like, huh, what do you mean? Let me say that again, because I know 90-year-old people that have not owned that yet. I have participated in every bad decision that I have ever made. Now, I have to own that, because a lot of the times, I end up hurting myself, and I end up becoming the architect of the, own, of the consequences that I suffer through. I tell my kids all the time, I don't need Satan in my life, I have Caleb. Like, really, I am a lot to deal with. You are a lot to deal with. If there was a, wasn't a Satan, there would still be you. If there wasn't a Satan, there would still be Caleb. We would still have ourselves to deal with. But it really, really complicates it when you have other people to deal with, right? It complicates it when you have other individuals who have hurt you, who you feel have taken advantage of you, and who, quite frankly, have taken advantage of you. Or how about this? Sometimes we feel the hurt and the pain when somebody we love is taken advantage of by somebody else, or somebody else hurts them. Now, I could stand up here and give examples, but I can tell by your faces right now, you already know what I'm talking about. Or do I need to go over the last 18 months? Yeah, now it's quiet. How about the last five years, 10 years, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years, right? 
Over, do you know? Do you know why people hurt people? Because we're dealing with people, and people are crazy. You don't believe me? Go on Facebook later on today. Go on the petri dish social media site called Twitter. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if Twitter offends you. Anyway, but seriously, think about it real quick. You you look at that, and and it's like man, pain after pain, hurt after hurt, jab after jab after jab after jab. It's almost as if we, when we're on social media, we forget some of the times that we're actually um, talking to live human beings. It's almost like road rage. There's an actual human being there. That is somebody's son or daughter, somebody's mom or dad, somebody's sibling, somebody's friend. We forget that because we get hurt and we react. You know, you know the hardest thing to do, I think, like, I think, the hardest thing to do is to forgive. You know what, what the deepest theology is in the Bible? You, you, those of you who are Bible nerds and you've been like a Christian since God was a boy, that's how long you've been a Christian, or like you know the Bible really, really well, here's the deal. Um, Romans is not the deepest theology in the Bible. Revelation is not the deepest theology in the Bible. Now, I love Revelation. It's like a Tim Burton movie type thing, okay? I love it. But when you think about the deepest theology in the Bible that you could ever study, you know what it is? Love your neighbor as yourself. There's nothing more difficult. And, and what about love your enemies? I love what Dr. Martin Luther King said. He said, how can you love your enemies if you have not forgiven your enemies? Forgiveness, is, or it's one of those words I don't like. I mean, do you like the word forgive? I like it when, it's, when people forgive me. I like that. But when I have to forgive, I don't like it. There are other words like that, like the word no. I don't like it when people tell me no. I love to tell other people no. I, I love to tell my kids no. I become creative in telling them. I text them the word no sometimes when they ask me. Like, and they get annoyed, and then that fulfills me even more. Okay, I don't like the word submit. I like when people submit to me, but when I have to submit, I don't like it. I don't like the word obey. You like the word obey? If I came up to you and I said obey, of course not. Number one, you're a human. Number two, you live in America. Like, that's kind of our thing, right? Freedom. We don't like obedience. I like when people obey me, but when I have to obey, it's like, hold on, let, let's talk about the terms here. Right? Forgiveness is like that. We love receiving it. We hate giving it. There's nothing more, more hard in our life. So my question for you today and, and what we're going to end with is, how in the world do we forgive when we've been really hurt? How do we forgive? What do you do? What does it look like when we've been really hurt? And today, to really unpack this, we're going to go to a place that maybe you wouldn't think that we would normally go. We're going to go to this, um, this uh, we're going to study through an entire book of the Bible today. And don't worry, you're going to be out in time to go get brunch you're going to beat the Lutherans to the buffet. It's going to be good. Don't worry about it. We're not going to be here that long. Trust me. I say in the entire book of the Bible, you're thinking like Second Corinthians. It's like, oh my goodness, he has lost his mind. Pastor John, get up there and send the assassins. Like, I promise, 
It is not going to be that long. But we're going to actually study through one of the shorter books in the Bible. Like if you've ever done this thing where you've read through the Bible in a year, you've read through the New Testament, you get to this book. It's called Philemon, and it's like barely a chapter, like when you look at it. And it, it's like you breeze through it like, oh, read a whole book of the Bible today, and you can brag. Yeah, what do you do in church? Well, we read a book of the Bible. What do you do? Oh, you looked at one verse? We looked at an entire book. But really, it's a short book, but it is so profound, okay? Uh, and, and in this book, we're going to find this principle that's going to help us learn how to forgive people, especially when we are really, really hurt. So we're going to begin here by reading Philippians uh, chapter 1, which I don't know if you should just say Philippians 4 through 7 because there's only one chapter. So, uh, but for the sake of anything, I'll just say Philippians 1, 4 through 7, it says this. Paul writes this, I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the heart's of God's people. Now, let me just set the context, okay? Paul is writing to this, uh, to this man named Philemon, which in the original language, the, the name Philemon, the word means affectionate. That's what the name means. And, and apparently, according to uh, historical context and history, this guy, Philemon, lived in a, a very wealthy city called Colossae. It was also a very, very spiritual city. But at the same time, he was a very, very wealthy individual, as we're going to see later on. As a matter of fact, in the first three verses that I skipped over, um, the Apostle Paul says, you know, to the church that meets in Philemon's house. And so right there, most people in the first century lived in a one-room house. Some of you are like, that describes my situation very well right now, Caleb. It was a small room. You cooked in that room. You slept in that room. You ate in that room. You did homework in that room. You played Parcheesi in that room, Monopoly, Xbox, everything happened in that one room. And so for him to have a big enough room for a church, which back in those days, like in Colossae, we're looking at anywhere between 30 to 60 people, that's a lot of people. And so he had to have a bigger house with more than one room, and, and bigger rooms at that, for the entire church to be able to meet there. And as we're going to see in a minute, he is, he is a wealthy man. I mean, Paul even talks about his, his uh, generosity, and the generosity that comes from his faith, not from the world, not from what he has, but from his faith. And this letter is written around 62 AD. 62 AD. So Paul will be martyred for his faith. He'll be killed for his faith, beheaded probably in about four to six years, sometime between 66 and 68 AD. So Paul's got about four to six more years left. But right now, Paul is in prison. And, and this is the last of what we call in the New Testament the prison epistles or the prison letters. Um, Galatians, Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. The reason why we call them the prison epistles or prison letters is probably pretty obvious to you. Paul wrote them while he was in prison. He was in house arrest. And he was writing the, the, these churches that he cared so much about, like the church in Ephesus that he started. He wrote Ephesians and sent them a letter. And he's sending Philemon a letter. And this is a letter to a specific individual. 
not just an entire church, but this letter is to a specific individual. And we're going to see here in a second why in the world is Paul writing. So take a look at the next two verses, verses 8 through 9. Paul says, this is why I'm boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, I prefer to simply ask you. Consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man, now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. Now, can we just acknowledge something real quick? Like Paul's getting, you can tell Paul's getting ready to ask a big favor. First of all, Paul's pretty good at buttering people up right here, right? I mean, he's like, yeah, it's from me. I'm an old man. I could demand it from you, but I know you're going to do the right thing. Like, like, it's not even a passive-aggressive. Paul has the authority as an apostle to say, no, you need to do this. But he says, you know what? I know I don't have to pull rank on you because, hey, you have generosity that comes from your faith. You're going to do the right thing, Philemon. Now, if you've never read this before, if it's been a while, you're thinking, man, what in the world is he going to ask? Look at verse 10. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. I became his father in faith while here in prison. Now, let's just stop right there. I guarantee you that probably after Philemon read that verse or that line, they didn't have verses back then, but that line, he probably stopped reading and was like, oh, really? He's going to ask me to be nice to Onesimus. Now, we're going to learn more about Onesimus in a second, okay? But Onesimus the name, his name literally means useful. We don't know much about this guy so far, but Paul says that I became his father in faith while here in prison. Somehow Onesimus and Philemon, they know each other, and then Onesimus made his way to the apostle Paul, and now Onesimus became a Christian underneath Paul's tutelage somehow, because he said, I became his father in the faith, aka Onesimus became a Christian while he was with me. Now we're getting into the paper. Look at the next two verses, verses 11 and 12. <clears throat> and this is a play on words. Remember, Onesimus' name literally means useful. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he is very useful. Like, that all would have rhymed in the Greek, and you all would have been like, oh, look, that's smart, yeah. Right now we read it, we're like, okay. But back then they would have been like, oh, wow, Paul's a poet. All right, Shakespeare. Look at this next one. Next verse, I am sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. So we see that this is somebody that obviously has harmed Philemon in the past. We see that this is somebody that has not been of much use to him in the past. Maybe it's somebody that, that he needs to reconcile with. And Paul says, I'm sending him back to you. He hasn't been useful to you, even though his name means useful. But you know what? He comes back with my heart. Now, let's look at the next six verses, verses 15 through 21. We're going to learn more about Onesimus and Philemon's relationship. I'm going to read through all of it, and then we're going to go back and talk about it. Listen to this. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He is no longer a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me, 
Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, and I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. Yeah, right there. He's like, oh, okay. Can I have an apostle write that to you? Like, he's serious, right? Yes, my brother, please do this, this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I am confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. As I said, Paul is pretty good at asking a favor unless you were the one that he wanted the favor from, right? If you're reading this, you're like, I don't know. You owe me your very soul. You're really? Okay. So what do we learn about their relationship here? Well, number one, we learn that, that Onesimus was Philemon's slave, or maybe still is, uh, sorry, that Onesimus was Philemon's slave, or maybe still is Philemon's slave, and that, Phile- that Onesimus ended up running away somehow from Philemon. Now, here's the deal. If you are all about justice, biblical justice, you should love the book of Philemon. Because Philemon is all about justice. Paul says that he is sending him back to you, not only as a brother in the Lord, but he says as a man, his dignity and his worth. That because of that, he should not be in slavery. You see that with what Paul is saying right here. Like some people say, well, you know, Paul was for slavery. No, he wasn't. Paul is very, if he was, he would say, Onesimus, go back there and be a slave again. No, but he's asking Philemon, free him, treat him like a brother. Now, we don't know what Onesimus did besides running away. It seems like he owes Paul, uh, Philemon something. Maybe he stole something, or maybe the fact is, is that he owed Philemon money, or he was or Philemon was paying off his debt, and then he, he worked for Philemon as a slave and then ran away, and now Philemon is obligated to that debt still? We don't know what that'll look like. Now, I, I will tell you this, that, that slavery in all accounts is wrong. In the first century, though, especially during Roman times and really nice Roman provinces like Colossae, it was not like what we think of of the brutality of the transatlantic slave trade. That was brutal. And I'm not saying that this isn't evil or brutal. I'm just saying that, that slavery here was something that you sold yourself into. It was like a job that they really leaned on you. And again, it doesn't make it right. But for some reason, he ran away. And he was still considered Philemon's property. Like, like Philemon could have him get in big trouble because he ran away. But is that what Philemon does? We don't know what happened with that. We assume that he probably listened to the Apostle Paul, but the Apostle Paul said, hey, listen, whatever he owes you, whatever he took from you, whatever you feel like he needs to give you, just charge it to my account, and I promise I'll repay it, but I don't even have to mention that you owe me your own soul. And then he ends, hey, I'm confident you're going to do the right thing and more. Welcome him as you would welcome me. That, I mean, from Philemon's standpoint, again, he shouldn't own slaves, but he was probably struggling with that. If you're Onesimus, you're probably nervous going back, aren't you? 
You're like, what if he forgets his Christian ethic there for a little bit? I know we've never done that, right? We've never forgotten that we were Christians, those of us who are. And some of you who are not Christians yet, sitting near somebody, you're like, oh, no, they, they have, I guarantee you. Those of you who are Christians or sitting with people that you live with, you're like, oh, they forget by Wednesday. By Wednesday night, they have forgotten. By Monday night, they have forgotten. Right? So what do we do? According to this, this, this book, when it's hard to forgive. I think that when you look at it, this is, he is appealing to his faith. Paul is appealing to Philemon's faith, his love for Jesus, his love for God, his love for people. And here's what we need to learn, that a relationship with Jesus gives us margin to love the unlovable and forgive the unforgivable. That a relationship with Jesus, when you have a relationship with Jesus, It should give you the margin to love the unlovable so you can forgive the unforgivable. Now, this is important for a few reasons, and we'll talk about it in a second. It's hard to forgive in general, but there are some things that we cannot forgive in and of ourselves. And I think we need the power of God to help us. But first of all, let's talk about what forgiveness is not. Because there are some of us, we don't want to forgive Because we think that forgiveness means that we are validating how the other person hurt us. No, that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness does not mean that you automatically have to go back in a close relationship with somebody. Now, if somebody accidentally steps on your foot and you're not going to go back into a close relationship with them because you can't forgive them, my wife is a counselor. She can help. But we're talking about deeper issues, right? deeper wounds. And listen, I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm not trying to guilt you for not forgiving. Hear me out on this. I understand that some of you have been through things that you have never told somebody, any other person about. And I understand that some of you have been through issues and have been abused by people only very few people know, and you still struggle with that. You might even still struggle with your relationship with God, and you think, how could God allow that to happen? Here's my best theological answer for you. I don't know. I do know this. That God is with you right now, and he loves you more than you know. He loves you deeply. And he not only loves you, he really, really likes you. Forgiveness is not validation of the other person. Forgiveness is freeing yourself. You know what the name forgiveness, you know what the word forgive literally means in the original language? It means to throw away. That's what it means. Because throughout life, we go throughout life with a big backpack on, picking up offenses like stones and putting them in our backpack, and we get really, really weighed down like that. You ever met an annoying, bitter person? They're fun to be around, right? No, they're not. There's a reason why you don't invite them to parties. Some of you have to because you share DNA. You see them at Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? Who is the genius to put those two holidays close together? Should have spread those out a few months, right? Giving everybody a little levity and breathing room. 
but these are the people, you invite them over, you're having a great time, and they're like, yeah, there's, there's another battle that broke out in the Middle Eastern town, like 20 people were killed. Okay, we were just talking about my daughter's softball game, but um, thanks for throwing that in there. People who are really bitter, they all have something in common. They don't forgive. Forgiveness is bad on a couple of counts. First of all, what I'm trying to illustrate is this. I don't like who I become when I don't forgive. Do you like who you become? You know what forgiveness is all about? It's about freeing yourself to depend and focus on God. Because when you don't forgive and bitterness wells up, you start focusing on your offender more than you do on God. And you're going to start imitating, whether you know it or not, you're going to start imitating wherever your focus goes, period. That's who you're going to be more like. That's why bitter people end up in weird ways replicating the people that have hurt them and acting like them in a weird way. Why? Because all their time and energy is focused on them. Forgiveness frees you from the prison you built around yourself to focus on God. So my question is this. You know, how do we, how do we increase our margin to forgive? Well, I think that margin is to love and forgive is increased when we, number one, pay forward God's forgiveness of you. You have to pay forward God's forgiveness. God has forgiven you. God has forgiven me. So must we, if we follow Jesus, so must we forgive others. It is not an option. It, forgiveness is not a spiritual gift. It is not a request. It is a command. It is one of those obeys that I just talked about. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3.13. He says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. If that's not bad enough, after giving the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, you know the most famous sermon like ever preached, even if you don't go to church on a regular basis, you probably have heard of that one. Like, right after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 14 through 15, if you forgive people and they sin against you, God will forgive you. If you don't forgive people, God won't forgive you. getting it. Like even in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. In other words, every time you pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So my repentance to God is tied to my forgiveness for other people on a regular basis. I've found that when I become a regular repenter, I'm a better forgiver. When I don't regularly confess and repent to God, I really, really struggle with forgiving other people. Like, like, but Caleb, they hurt us. Exactly. That's why you're not going to like number two here. I'm just going to tell you, because I don't, I don't like it. Like, Caleb, you're a pastor. You can't say that. I just did. Number two, remember, Jesus loves that person too. Really? Jesus loves that person too. Think about a person you need to forgive. Isn't it an annoying thought that God really, really loves them? Some of you who are highly spiritual will say, no. Okay, well, now you're not just being a human being. You're being a super Christian. Because the humanity that's left in us 
who follow Jesus, we struggle with that. Like, you ever had somebody that is just really, really a kiss-up and somebody at work that you can't stand, maybe is really rude to other people, and you start praying to God, you're like, God, we need to take care of Bob, you and me. We need to figure out how we're going to do it. Shirley's got to go, God. You know, not just from the company. Don't want to kill her. Nothing painful. She just needs to move on from my life. Right? And you think that you and God are on the same page, and then the next day, Bob and Shirley get the promotion you wanted. You're like, what's going on? I thought we were on the same page. You see, this is what we call in fancy, a fancy theological phrase, the doctrine of uh, the doctrine of, of grace, of common grace. It's from Matthew 5, 38 through 48, when Jesus says, God causes the sun to rise on both the good and the bad, the good and the evil. Good things happen to good people and bad people. Bad, people. bad things happen to good people and bad people all the time. But we have to remember that God loves the people that we don't like, that have hurt us. All right, I've already said controversial things. What's one more? Are you ready for this one? So, I promise we're going to end on a good note. Are you ready? <laughs> God loves the person that voted for the other candidate. <laughs> some of you are laughing. Some of you are like. No, Caleb, don't get political. I'm not getting political. God loves people on both sides of the aisle and all around the aisle and in other aisles, except for Raiders fans. Yeah, I think we can all agree on that one. John and I agree on that one. That, that one's tough. Um, I won't make any Raiders jokes, but it's, it's hard not to right now. But yeah, God even loves Raiders fans. God loves the people that work at the corporation you would never work at, that believe the things you would never believe, that are in the relationships that you would never be in, that operate from a different system of ethics. God loves those people. Again, to quote Dr. Martin Luther King, you cannot love somebody you have not forgiven. It's easier to forgive when I remember that God has forgiven me. Here's number three. Choose to treat others better than they treated us. That one's hard. Love your neighbor. The Apostle Paul, blame him, not me. Romans 13, 8 through 10. He says, loving your neighbor fulfills the Old Testament law. Some of you are like, Wait, why didn't he say love God and love your neighbor? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do you think you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind? By loving your neighbor as yourself. That's why Paul only mentioned loving your neighbor there. Like, we have to treat others better than they treated us. Like, I don't know if I can do that. I get it. Remember when Jesus was being nailed to the cross? Remember one of the seven things that he said on the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Part of you reads that, you're like, it seems like they knew what they were doing. Seems pretty evident. And yet Jesus was innocent. Maybe that's what they didn't know. But even though Jesus was innocent, Jesus is saying, do not hold this against them. 
That's the level I want to get at. And the only way you get to that level is through an immense amount of pain. And you decide that the pain will not define you, but you will allow the pain to empower you to become more loving and more forgiving. When Paul talks to Philemon about forgiveness, he appeals on the basis of love and on the basis of Jesus. This is why I say again, a relationship with Jesus gives you the margin to love the unlovable and forgive the unforgivable. Let me tell you why this is important. A couple of reasons, then I'm going to close. I'll close with this. We had, we had a family in, in the church where I accepted Christ, Forum Christian Church in Columbia, Missouri. There's a family that used to attend there when I got saved. I heard them kind of share their testimony one time of how hard it was to forgive. Ted Bundy killed their daughter. I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I could forgive that. I'm going to be honest. That's a tough one. Right? It's one that you hope you never have to experience if you have kids. I don't know how. My, here's the deal. My, um, uh, we, we had, we, we've had an interesting 2020, and you're like, so has the world, Caleb. Yes, but it, it, at the end of April, my wife's dad, my father-in-law, who was in his early 60s, had surgery. The surgeon and everybody thought it was going to be great. Um, the day of the surgery, which I believe was April 29th, my wife was down in Orange County near the hospital with her mom and her sister, and the, my 14-year-old son, Joel, and my 12-year-old daughter, Rachel, and I were back at home in Simi Valley. We were waiting for them to call, say it was over, so we could drive down there, going to spend the night at Nana's. And we had plans for this summer. Everybody thought the surgery was going to go well. I didn't hear from my wife. I didn't hear from her. Didn't hear from her. And then in the evening, I finally called her, and I said, Amy, what's up? And she, I went in the backyard because I figured she hasn't called. This can't be a good thing. And she said, Caleb, he died. He died during surgery. This was a guy who was in his 60s. This was not supposed to happen. Nobody thought this was going to happen. And so then I had the difficult assignment of going into my living room and telling my 14-year-old and 12-year-old their grandpa that they were expecting to see had just died. Um, my son is the oldest of all the grandkids. He and Larry, my father-in-law, were like this. And I was an idiot. I just was like, okay, I, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this. And when I told them, it just broke out into tears. And everything I thought I was going to say was gone. And I did the only thing I knew to do in that moment. I sat down in between them, took one in one arm, the other in the other arm, and I just cried with them. Because sometimes, like what Paul says in Romans 8, sometimes you don't know what to say. You just don't. But the Lord's Spirit intercedes in those moments and talks to God for us. I have never seen my son cry the way that he did that night. And I hope that I never do again. It was awful. But then my son and daughter said something 
after the first wave of crying was over, they said something that Larry had said the night before. The night before, my kids and wife and I, Amy, we were on the speakerphone with Larry and we were talking with him. He's already in the hospital, already prepped. Everything was, seemed, he was getting ready for surgery the next morning. They wanted him all ready. It was gonna be early in the morning. And my son, Joel, before we hung up said, Papa, what happens if you don't make it? Now as a parent, like I just went, I wanted to go. But I didn't. I was like, man, let's, in my head, I was like, let's, let's play out and see what happens. And I'm so glad that he asked that question because here's what Larry told him. He said, Joel, I don't know I don't expect that to happen, but if it does happen, I know where I'm going and I know who I'm going to be with. And if that happens, here's what I want you to do. I want you and your sister to stay as close to Jesus as you can for the rest of your life. My wife had led her mom and dad to the Lord 10 years earlier and baptized them. After that first wave of crying was over, both Joel and Rachel said, Papa said, we have got to stay close to Jesus. I had been so angry at the surgeons outside. I'd been angry. I mean, I knew they probably didn't intentionally. It wasn't a, 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 a conspiracy where they were trying to kill him or anything, but I was just so mad. And I, I was like, what, what's her email? What's her phone? I just wanted somebody to take my rage out on. I was still mad when I was crying with my kids because I'm like, if these guys had done their job, I would not be sitting here doing this. We, I would not be away from my wife who is wrecked right now if they had done their job. And in that moment, when they reminded me of this, it reminded me that the legacy of love and forgiveness is so much more important than what we feel in the moment. I was so grateful for my father-in-law's legacy, his spiritual legacy from only 10 years of being Christian to impact my kids that much when they would be the ones who reminded me without even knowing what was right. Hear me out on this, okay? I did not tell you that story to be a tearjerker. I told you that story, if anything, to motivate you. I understand that some things are difficult to forgive. I understand it more than what you know, but hear me out on this. Through God, anything is possible. Through God, you can have the margin to love who you would consider unlovable and to forgive what you don't think that you can you can't within your own humanity. How do you forgive somebody killing your daughter like that? How do you forgive in that moment? And you find out a loved one died and you think to yourself that didn't have to happen. Even if they didn't do anything wrong, you still feel like you have to forgive because that's what you feel. How do you forgive? Sometimes there are some of us that still own that and it's holding us back. And I'm telling you, here's the good news. You can be free. If you forgive, you can be, that is good news. That is something to celebrate. That a relationship with Jesus, it gives you the margin to love the unlovable so that you can forgive the unforgivable. Trust me, to 
this is good news, and you can finally be free. But you have to lean into your relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is something that we should celebrate. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much for today. And Father, as we get ready to sing, as we get ready to leave and go into our week, Father, I pray that we would not go with a heart that is just tearful, but Father, that we would leave here excited and joyful, that knowing that even though forgiveness is hard, you will walk with us through the fires of the difficulties of forgiveness. You will not leave us. You will go with the journey on us and that you have provided us the perfect, amazing opportunity to forgive that we know in the person of Jesus Christ. And Father, that is something that we should celebrate because we forgive. Primarily, we forgive not only because you love us and we love you, but because you have forgiven us. So Father, I pray that that is something we can celebrate because we can be free. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.